Soli Deo Gloria. To God, His glory, God's glory alone. And uh, I can't think of a topic that's more important than the glory of God, can you? Uh, We uh, have a chief aim today, and that is to bring glory to God as we worship and as we go through this text. That's what our aim is, and uh, I would say it is certainly easy to think about God's glory in this text that we are in today, because it's the doxology, and this is doxology part three in our little mini-series, and it looks like we're going to close out this chapter today and uh, this doxology part and uh, in a way it's kind of sad because those first 11 chapters of Romans are so much about high, high doctrine. Romans probably is considered at the top of all books in in the the high doctrine that it has, Uh, whether it be... um, justification by faith, salvation and such, and then living it out as we'll see in the remainder of the book. We will see how to live out this life, this faith that God has given us. And uh, so um, as we go into that, I'm sure that will be exciting too. But like I say, it, it has been kind of an era that we've been in for quite some time uh, going through Romans and uh, such rich theology that is there. Um, I think about in this super glorious text that we've been in, in verse 33 through 36, about the not only the glory of God, that the very nature of God is seen there and how different He is from all of the rest of creation. Even though He makes a tremendous great creation, He is so different from it. But He is what everything is about, isn't He? It is all about His glory forever. His glory will brilliantly shine throughout all the ages. And what's amazing is that we get to get in on this as He reveals to us what He is about and what His plan and purposes are about. Uh, and it's amazing how much He reveals. He doesn't have to do that. God is infinite. There's no way we're going to know the infinite, the infinity of God. But He allows us to know a lot of things, and they're all written in the Word of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can understand this great God in some ways. And it is amazing to think about that, that you know, He's not obligated to anybody, any creature, to reveal who He is at all. He could have decided never to show who He is to us. And that would have been okay. It would have been for His glory. But, you know, out of His great love and His great grace, His amazing mercy that He has, when you think about it, we are given tremendous living hope here through the Word of God. What we've seen in Romans 1-11 through is uh, just truly... And as far as its depth is concerned, we just hit the tip of the iceberg as Romans 11 closes out. And uh, he's showing that actually we are very limited in what we know considering who God is. We know quite a bit 
with what is revealed here, but with an infinite God, it is very small. And how can we ever know these depths? As Paul has been saying here, God is infinite. He is not limited. He's so high above us, so inscrutable, unsearchable, so unfathomable. We praise Him because of these things, of His attributes that He shows us, but yet we know that they go far beyond what we can even measure. His majesty, His grandeur, it is supreme, isn't it? And every time we look into His Word, we are amazed even more. His wisdom, His knowledge, His eternal decrees, we talked about eternal decree last week, His purpose, His plan is what that is. And there's no way that anybody can search the depths of that, of His judgments or His decree, His plans, His wisdom, His knowledge, His mind. Who can know the mind of God? Who can know it as it says in the verse that we'll be looking at today? And so I think about that. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us peer into a little bit more of Your very existence, Your being. It's overwhelming. And we're reminded that we are very small. Microscopic. There's no word that could put it as compared to the universe and then compared to the Creator of the universe how small we are, and yet you want us to know you personally. What a privilege it is today, Lord, as we look into here, and by your Spirit, help us to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So, after saying all the depths of the riches, and knowledge, and wisdom of God, right? Oh, the depths of that. How unsearchable are His decrees, His judgments, and unfathomable His ways, His plan that's going to be carried out, His methods, how unfathomable they are. And then the next one is, uh, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who is first given to Him that it might be repaid to Him? Who do we think we are if we think we've got His knowledge exhausted? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. What a passage. And so we close this out and uh, we look in verse 34, uh, concentrating on the mind of the Lord. Who has known? The mind of the Lord. Paul is making a contrast here now. He's making an unsearchable contrast how very small man is in his knowledge, in his wisdom, our riches compared to all of his riches and wisdom and knowledge. And really we are nothing as we are compared to him. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And then it also says, who became His counselor? So in verse 34 and 35, who was given to Him that might be repaid to Him, 
uh, actually come out of the Old Testament, their Old Testament readings. We have quotes from them. So Paul closes this chapter and section out of this epistle uh, quoting from very well-known verses. And so we will look at those verses here in a moment. And we'll see what he's doing. Is He's comparing man. Okay, He says, oh man, you want to compare yourself to me. Uh, God is infinite. We are finite. He is not limited in any way or form. We are limited in many ways. So what about what man brags about? What about that free will? Who's the one who's really free? It's God. And so, as he quotes here for who has known the mind of the Lord, who became his counselor, let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. And this would probably be the main one, but there are other passages that we'll look at here that are saying the same thing. Isaiah 40 verse 13. Uh, in... 39 chapters, God has pretty well given dark, dark, deep judgment to Israel and all the nations of the world spanning all the ages. And God will judge them all. And then in chapter 40, through the rest of the book is good news. To get good news, you've got to get good news of God. And God reveals Himself in 40 in a very, very powerful way. But He starts off, comfort, oh comfort my people. He's been giving judgment and then we start to see how great God is. So in verse 13, He says, Who has encompassed the Spirit of Yahweh? Or has His Counselor, as His Counselor has informed Him? Uh, who can know the mind of God? Who knows really the Spirit of God? Let's go to Job chapter 15, verse 8. Do you hear the secret counsel of God and cut down wisdom only unto yourself? Nobody can get into the secret counsels of God. Jeremiah in the prophets section 23:18 another one that's similar who can know the mind of God and the counsel but who has stood in the counsel of Yahweh that he should see and hear his word who has given heed to his word and heard so there again the very counsels of God being able to know all that he is and that is what Paul is quoting from here in our verse 14 after saying how unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Man's limited knowledge versus God's infinite knowledge. That's vast, isn't it? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, the more mind of the Lord corresponds here with verse 33, the knowledge of God. Remember that? Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge. And then in verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord? That would be corresponding with the wisdom. Mind of God. Wisdom. And then when you see the next phrase, who became his counselor, you relate wisdom with the counselor 
And in verse 33, we have the word wisdom. So wisdom and knowledge are kind of seen again in this next verse, 34. After he's talked about wisdom and knowledge, oh, the depths of that. And then he says, who can know it? Who can really know those depths? We know that nobody can. No human being can offer anything to God as far as his knowledge and wisdom is concerned. Can we give anything to God that he doesn't know? Matter of fact, he's the one that gave us any kind of knowledge or wisdom that we have. It all comes from him. We'll see that in a little bit. Verse 33 there was highlighted in those two words, and now we see them here in this section. Now let's go back to Job. Uh, by the way, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, they are considered the wisdom books. So since we're talking about wisdom and the mind and thinking, uh, Job has a lot to lend to us that can be helpful. We've got some wisdom to gain as we look in Job 38 verse 4, near the end of Job, and he has learned something from God through all that suffering. 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know understanding. Well, God is answering Job out of the whirlwind whenever he says that. Where were you whenever I created? Where were you? And, and do you really understand that? Do you really understand my thinking and my mind? Uh, so that's a little bit of what Job uh, gets from God. And in chapter 42, you get uh, Job answering back to Yahweh after Yahweh gives him all of those things about how great he is and his creation and uh, the just the amazing power of who God is. And 42, 1 through 6, Then Job answered Yahweh and said, I know that you can do all things. That's one thing we can know, don't we? He can do all things. That's a good one just to start off with. All things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Oh boy, do people really need to know that. He can never be thwarted. Any purpose plan. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared which I did not understand. Things too marvelous for me, which I did not know. This is high thinking of God now, isn't it? Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you will make me know. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I reject myself and I repent in dust and ashes. God has just given him truth about God in a way that he had never understood. And Job actually was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. This man is much to be admired from the human standpoint, but as far as knowing God, he's got a long way to go. But now he repents in dust and ashes. All the things that he was saying, even challenging God and almost questioning and doubting in a sense, but yet 
He knew the things of God. He knew the Word of God. And then he says right here, things that you've just revealed to me are too wonderful. How can I understand all of this? Job, I do believe, was humbled and he shut his mouth. And that's the way that we need to be before a holy God whenever there are things we don't understand. Rather than challenging God, questioning God, saying, shaking our fist at God, we need to just shut our mouths and look at Him for who He is because we have our attention totally in the wrong place. It is not about us. It's all about God. You know what? I could stop right there and we could go for the day. That's good enough to think on, isn't it? That's too easy. It's not about us. It's all about Him. It's all about His glory. Paul has been talking about the attributes of God as perfect attributes. And what he now is showing here is the limitations that are on mankind. Uh, God is not limited in His perfections. Man really knows next to nothing as far as God is concerned. The essential problem comes out of man's ignorance. Man is ignorant. He knows not. He knows so little about God and he says things about God that comes from his own thoughts that either he doesn't exist or maybe he does and maybe he doesn't. Or he does exist, but I want him the way that I want him and not the way that uh, it says here in the Bible. So I'm not going to believe those things. Well, people are ignorant of God. We are all ignorant. We're trying to know more. We're trying to be more like Christ. And we'll get to the positive aspect, but first of all, when we look at God, we have to realize that we can't touch His wisdom and knowledge. Man, if He does not expressing thoughts of God that come directly from Scripture, He's in danger of displaying His ignorance. Because everything has to come from the Word. If it's not from the Word, then everything else is going to be ignorance, isn't it? So Dennis, hold back a little bit on that. My goodness, making, making us look bad. <laughs> Man is ignorant of God's decrees. We looked at that last week. We looked at the decrees which are like, as far as I'm concerned, they're right at the top. Uh, his counsels, the divine counsels, how God put all this together in eternity. Eternity past, that's the way that humans think of it. He's eternal. We can't even get into that, what that means. But uh, His ways that He brings out His plan and His purpose, His methods, the way that He does it. And sometimes it seems like we maybe say things that are a little overboard, a little bit too much. And actually, it's what God says. And so people get a little nervous whenever it seems like, uh-oh, I'm not so sure about God being able to actually allow sin here on, on the world. Uh, and people would put Him on a level of maybe Satan, that they're equal with each other, and that there's a battle going on, and all the sin came from Satan, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I've got a little uh, 
couple of paragraphs from Robert Haldane that can really, I think, give us a little more handle on why he would allow the sin and the evil and the suffering that there is. We can't get into too much depth of that because the Bible's already told us there how unsearchable are his decrees. But it uh, it does help to be able to look into his word with a little depth by the Spirit and understand that. But see, uh, man is ignorant of God's purposes and how he executes them. Man, and that's even Christians, don't know how God operates and whenever he does things that seem so horrible. And whenever he brings on the weather that can bring on hurricanes and typhoons, destroy land and destroy material things and even destroy people. And people would like to distance God from that and say God doesn't do that. God doesn't kill people. Although the scripture does say that he does and all the things of dealing with weather and everything, he's in total control and you have little man here trying to outdo God and say we have uh, a problem with our weather and we're going to change it. <laughs> and we can do it by changing people's attitudes on energy and such. You guys know the whole rhetoric on that. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's just stupid and foolish. How can any man kind ever think that he can control the weather? And yet modern man is trying to do that with all their technology that they have. And they just make it worse. You see, man is ignorant of God's purposes because man is ignorant of himself. He doesn't know God, and he is so ignorant he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his true nature. That, right there, is the problem. doesn't know his nature. Modern man says that evolution is responsible for all of creation. Evolution did it. That means it's not a person. It just happened. That is ridiculous. That affronts man's thinking ability that God has given him. It's incredible all the things that come up with that. We won't spend time on creation versus evolution, but you know, man doesn't know that he was actually created in the image of God. Now that got a little muddied up. The curse of sin course happened but still yet there is the the it's marred the it's like a face of a statue that is marred still there is made in the image of God and that man can think he has reasoning abilities he knows right from wrong a lot of things that comes in a personal way that no other part of creation has animals don't have the image of God but man does. Man is ignorant of that and denies it. Denies the very creator that makes him and keeps him alive until the Lord takes him. Aren't you glad it's not some enemy that's higher than God that decides to take us when we're taken? God is not in control of people's lives. He can give us life, but He can't take us into eternity. And if we are His, I think that is a plus. 
to go to be with him. God does, does that, doesn't he? That's what he does. Man is ignorant of his sinful nature. He's, he's ignorant of his condition. And so therefore, he would be ignorant of his need. Mankind has his own needs that he thinks that he must have, must have a lot of material things, wealth and all the other things that go with it, and really his most biggest need would be he needs to see his miserable condition. And then to see the resolution and what the answer is for this deep, dark need that he has. And he really should see that there is judgment and there is a hell. He's ignorant of the sinful, evil world all around him. They don't know why things are going on. That's why they're accepting a lot of these things they wouldn't have years ago. And they have become numb. People living in this world without God. There's evil all around. They're recognizing that there's something wrong. It seems like there's a murder every day, either here in Jeff City or Columbia. You never used to hear that. Maybe once a year at most, a few years, many years ago. The world is not aware of the spiritual forces that are acting upon this world and themselves. They are totally ignorant of these things. If they don't believe in God, why would they believe in the evil, wicked, forceful nature and demonic spiritual forces? They're ignorant of judgment. Men mock the idea of sin. It doesn't exist. You just need to get that out of your mind. You need to have a positive thought and therefore sin has never been here. And if you don't have sin, you don't have the need for a Savior. So therefore they mock Him. There are many uh, cults who claim themselves as Christians. Or you think of uh, some of the scientific religions. They have the word science in it. Christian science and such. Did you know if the Christian science should add knowledge, right? That's kind of contradicts itself. They say there's no such thing as sin. And there is no such thing as pain or evil. It's just in your mind. You have to think positive and if you get that out, see that where does that come from? That doesn't come from God. God tells us that we are sinful and we need him. It's no positive thinking that's going to make you to be God as they so say. They are ignorant of eternal punishment because if there's no sin, there's no punishment. And so, there's no sin, there's no Satan, there's no hell. They deny the existence of all of that. And that's why they would probably like to get rid of Christians and show that they don't exist because then they wouldn't have anybody telling them that there are things that they really need to put their mind on, otherwise there is judgment coming. They need Christ. They don't want to hear that. And so there is all the negative aspect, a whole list there of what I would call the ignorant list. We once were like that. But now, 
we have the mind of Christ. That's what we want to talk about. That is the right kind of thinking. Think the way that Christ thinks. We have something positive to think about. Christ came and He conquered at the cross and He reversed the curse. So all of those things that go with the curse are reversed. Once one becomes a believer in Christ, we actually start thinking the way that Christ thinks. The moment we become united to Him, our minds are converted. We are new creatures in Christ. And we start seeking the truth of His Word. And we become more and more like Christ. That's the whole purpose of our existence. And you can say, I thought it was to give glory to God. Well, it is because the more we become like Christ, then the more the glory is given to God because that is His whole purpose that we become like Christ. Do you remember when we studied that in Romans 8? And you get that golden chain of redemption and right in the middle of it there, this whole purpose and plan is to make us just like His Son. It's happening. It's called sanctification. It will happen at glorification. And we're waiting for that. We'll be just like Christ. Not Him, but just like Him. So, we have His wisdom to know Him. I know in Corinthians it says that He gives us His wisdom. He gives us His sanctification. Those are all things that come with this new regeneration. Wisdom to know Him. Wisdom to get this. To know His will, His purpose, His plan. And you guys have all experienced it. You read the Word, truth comes out. And then you, you hear video, I mean, you watch videos and you hear audios and you read books and the more and more depth you get of who God is and you know His plan. We know ourselves. We know that we are weak. We know that we need Him. Before we didn't. Now we do. We need Him. Without Christ, we are nothing. But in Christ, and that is called Christ esteem. I've been saying that for decades because in the Christian circle, there were uh, back in the 80s, uh, there came a thing called um, self-esteem. And we need to love ourselves as we love each other. Uh, and people really got into the self-love thing. And the self-esteem thing in the Christian realm was getting psychological just like the world was. And they weren't getting into the meaning of the text. See, that's the problem. We already love ourselves because it's all about us. So everything focused around us, that's the problem. That's why people even kill themselves because they love themselves so much and because there's something that they're not reaching, there's something else, and they, it's all around themselves rather than God. So really, that self-esteem does not match up 
with Christ esteem. I liked that whenever a writer came up with a book on that, going uh, and I think just destroying the world's psychology and going back to Scripture and showing here's who we are in Christ. It's amazing to be in Christ and then all the in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. All throughout the New Testament. That's our position now. You see, the curse has been reversed. And we now think like Christ. We have His wisdom. We know His plan. We now know ourselves. We know our position in Christ. So, we go back to man's limited wisdom, God's infinite wisdom. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Got a lot of people trying to counsel God today. And you say, what? Anybody, anybody who does things differently the way that God has planned, they just sin. In the very moment that they sin, they are actually giving counsel to God. Because they're saying, I know what you say, God. I know what it says here, but here's the way I think it, what that really means, and here's why, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do regardless. I'm going to do it anyway. Even if it's blatant sin, we are going to do that because we are giving advice to God that uh, this is better for my life, and this is what I'm going to do. This is the way I think. And what is that? Well, that's sin. That's counseling God. So, uh, who became his counselor? Now, the word counselor is someone from whom you would expect wisdom to come from. That's what a counselor is. Uh, there's been a revival lately called biblical counseling. And that's the only counseling that I know of. Uh, I don't even know if you have to put biblical in front of it, but I like that. Biblical counseling. Well, it has to be put forth because we've already seen the counseling that comes from the world. They usually tell you the opposite of what is best for you. Um, I think of marriage and divorce. And a couple uh, says that uh, they want to get divorced, and the counselor says, is that what you guys want? Is what you want? Okay, I think that's the best thing for you. Well, we start with the Word of God. Here is what is best for you. Uh, the thing is that it doesn't always work out, but the, you know, and I'm not trying to confront anybody here because many of us here have had that that we've de dealt with. Uh, try not bring any guilt in that sense. And once you're over it, you move on through. You know, it's that's past, it's gone. But what I'm just using an element here that the world's counseling will tell you something that is not biblical. And then you hear Christians in their counseling will do the same thing because here's what the world says. And by the way, you have to be trained, they say, to be a biblical counselor. You have to go through all the courses. Otherwise, who are you to give any kind of counseling to anybody? Well, I think any Christian who is filled with God's Spirit and the Word of God can be a biblical counselor. Uh, we know, well, okay, it's supposed to be the pastor. Well, obviously, absolutely, he should know the Word and be able to do that. And he should always be ready to do that. I've heard of many pastors who are of 
they've heard of bad things that have happened to pastors and they've gone to court because they tried to counsel somebody and uh, they got sued and such. So they say, I'm not a counselor and I will not and I cannot do that. Uh, they are ignoring the very job that they were told to do. They're listening to what the world says. How can the world give counsel to any Christian? Would you trust anything that an unbiblical counselor would do, or even somebody that's in biblical counseling yet doesn't really use the Scripture with you? Isn't that really what you really want? Isn't that what we want? We want, what does God say about it? What does God say? I need to touch base with it. It's nice to, okay, thanks. I knew that, but I, I just needed to, I needed to hear. Uh, anyway, that uh, that's how much is different than the world. A counselor is supposed to have wisdom. We expect that. And he's going to be value to you when you have a difficult circumstance to work through. And you need somebody to give you wisdom. And you don't know what to do. Or to come to a conclusion between two people. Well, you need advice. You need counsel. Every one of us. Even the most wise people that are Christians need counsel and advice sometimes. We all do. I'm thankful that there have been many people down through the years that I've been with that have given me some advice and that was wise counsel. And it helped a lot. makes you clearly think that God gives us fellowship. You can go to anybody here and if they've been in the Word of God and they're filled with God's Spirit, they should be able to give you something that can give you edification. And even whether you're asking for it or not, maybe they might just say something they don't even know what you're dealing with and they give you a truth and you go, oh, thank you for that. I never thought of that. Oh, that happens a lot. Um, we know that God's wisdom is always the best. If somebody is really using the Word of God, we're going to get truth here. What if... God adopted man's advice and counsel. Would this world be doomed? That'd be scary. We wouldn't be here, I can guarantee you right now, we'd be done in a moment. As soon as that happened, we'd be done. People like to give suggestions to God. People seem to know better a lot. Something seems catastrophic that happens to our lives. Somebody valuable in our life has been taken, taken away by Him. And some people respond differently than other people. Some of them have lost a child during maybe birth or before it, stillbirth, or just shortly after. Something like SIDS happened. And it's sad. And it makes us all hurt when we know the people that are involved and we never make light of it. God's in control though and we know that this is for the good. How does that make any sense to anybody? It doesn't. That's why He's so unfathomable. But what we can say is 
take comfort in God. Put your arm around them, whatever they need. Just be there. Because it's a hurtful time and people need people. Sometimes people don't need people. They just need the Word of God. But some people will suggest to God, Why do you do this? Why didn't you do it another way? You could have done it like this. And now you get people angry at God. And I know there's a degree of having an anger at God, and I'd be careful when I say this. Sometimes I see it when David is wondering what God is doing. And yes, that's our humanness, but you'll notice by the time you get to the end of that psalm, it's been turned around. That's why we have psalms. And we're, we're like David. And so I'm not trying to be inhuman here, but if we get that way, you better go to the Word real quick because uh, Satan can make that go a lot further than the way that you want to go. And so you have to be real careful. And it's best that we say, God, I, I know that whatever you're doing is the best. I don't understand it. And I, right now I don't like it, but I know you've not abandoned and you are here, and you are here with me. And that's a biblical Christian way to look at it. And I've seen so many people get so angry at God. And, the, and you'll find out, they say, I don't even believe in God. I used to believe in Him. you say, well, why? Because I had a baby, and the baby died. And therefore, I don't believe there's a God. Because no good God that I know of would ever do that. And He would have saved that baby. Well, it still comes to the point of death. Why is there death? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Why is there wickedness? Why is that going on? Is God causing all of that? God stands back and says, I do not see that. I cannot look upon that. And yet God is somehow involved with it. There's secondary causes. And I'll get to that in a moment. But And it's too deep. It's too deep for us to know. But we say things sometimes and then you get the people that shake their fist and that's dangerous. And man, when he's confronted by God, man dismisses it as folly as the wisdom that comes from God and he tells God what to do. How it should have been done. It claims he has a better way. And oh boy, they don't know God here. No. Uh, somebody has to take a look at Job's life and see how he got counsel from three friends. And of course he replied back and he did real good most of the time, but there were times when his humanists came through. That's where God comes in and says, where were you whenever I created this? Who are you to go into the deep counsels of God? So we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Just a few pages over from Romans there. And, uh, look at verse 18 first. The word of the cross foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise 
and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Here we go. Where is the wise man? Stand up. Where is the scribe? I dare you. Where is the debater of this age? Stand up. I dare you, God says. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The, the, all the wisdom of the world that uh, we're hearing about today. Oh, they're coming up with solutions all over the place through governing authorities all over the world. The whole world is going to come together and they're going to get together and emit tremendous wisdom. And God calls it foolishness. That's what foolishness is. The foolishness. Wisdom of the world. We go to Isaiah 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts, that's the thinking, that's the mind. Nor are your ways my ways, and that's the wisdom to be able to carry it out. That's the ways, that's the methods. That's a plan that's now being carried out. And you don't know those. Isaiah says that here. Uh, Proverbs 19.21 Back to wisdom, books, Psalms, Proverbs, 19.21. Oh, i got slick pages. Sorry about the delay here. I'll do it one by one. 19.21 says, Many thoughts are in a man's heart, but it is the counsel of Yahweh that will stand. Does that say it? That just quotes, backs up what Paul says there in Romans 11. Man has a lot of thoughts. But the counsel of Yahweh is what will stand. Man's thoughts won't. Job, back to Job. Uh, you know what? We kind of read that earlier. Let's go, you're in Proverbs, right? Go to Proverbs 3. 5 through 6. Everybody knows this. It's a good one to live by. It's good to have in your memory. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. That's our problem. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. Your paths, your ways, He will make them straight because, you know, that kind of correlates with what we had last week. We had knowledge and wisdom and how unfathomable they are. In all your ways, acknowledge, there's your knowledge. And He will make your paths straight. Your ways, your paths the methods that's going to be done, it'll be His will, His methods, the way that He carries it out. He will make your paths straight. 
Don't you like that? I think a lot of people use that as a memory verse. So uh, even at, at graduations, they will use this verse a lot. I remember them on plaques that we always sold at the store. That was one of the favorite verses that people would would get. James chapter 1, verse 5. James has a lot of wisdom too, doesn't he? Yes, he does, because God inspired him, and he, he wrote a book there dealing with wisdom, and a chapter that dealt with that uh, in James 1, 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want wisdom? Ask for it. God gives it. Do you like that? We know that. We've heard that before. That's how you live your Christian life. God, give me the wisdom to do this. Lord, fill me up with Your Spirit. I think it's Charles Spurgeon as he would always go up to the pulpit every Sunday morning there as he walked up the steps. God, empower me by Your Spirit. And He would say that over and over. And we know that He was a man of amazing ways to word, wordsmith. The way that He had put it gets people's attention. And here it is over a hundred years later and people love to hear those quotes. And they may not even know what all His theology is. And they love Spurgeon they would look into deeper, they would see some amazing things that Spurgeon said that would probably affront their theology. And it was very good what he had. But he, he wanted, he said he knew where his power came from as the Holy Spirit. Other than that, anything that he had to say was worthless. And I try to pattern that. I try to keep that thought there whenever I say anything about the Word of God that it would be Spirit-empowered because coming from me, it's worthless. But that comes from His Word and His Spirit. Lord, empower all of us to be able to understand it. The wisest of men need counsel from others. You know, the angels long to look into things that they can't understand that were said by the prophets and they look in there trying to understand the Gospel. There's some things there that we understand that they don't. And they have minds that are much higher than ours. But you see, those good angels never sinned. And they never have experienced the mercy and grace that we have. And they look at the cross and Christ dying on that cross and they still long to look at that and they need counsel for it. But you know what? The majesty of God stands alone in the universe. He needs no counselor. Nobody can ever tell God what to do. We know that's simple. But boy, does it ever go on in this world today, doesn't it? Christians do it all the time. We do it. We're guilty. That's why He says, I want you to be in tune with My Spirit. Come pray. And get your minds on the things of God rather than what's going on around you. And He'll give you counsel. Best counselor is the Word of God, isn't it?
Now, I've got a couple paragraphs from Robert Haldane. And I've saved this for something that is a topic that is so baffling to our minds, and I touched on it last week. Because if we get into this Romans 11, and as we get ready to finish, it's like a whirlwind. And Paul just said, out of all that we just done through 11 chapters, and then talking about Israel and their future, and you go, oh, the depth of God. How can anybody understand this? This is something that man cannot understand. And there's a topic that man has so much difficulty with, and of course it's all dealing with, you know what, the absolute sovereignty of God, and yes, that even entails man's salvation, which is so important. Man has so much difficulty with it that they deny it. They deny foreknowledge and predestination and election and the decrees of God. They'll see it's there, but they say that's not what she, what, what's really meant. It's that He elected you because you elected Him, right? Okay, so Robert Haldane writes this in this Romans 11 section that we're dealing with here today. He writes about the divine counsels. That's the word we're kind of stuck on right at the moment, right? And it's dealing with wisdom, counsels. Uh, I'm going to read some tough stuff. And it's worth thinking on. And I think you already believe it. Sometimes it's difficult for your small mind to wrap around it. And to be honest with you, it really can't. But there are some things you can. The results of sin, as well as all the evil we behold in the world, shall enhance the glory of the divine character. Oh my, if I said that one sentence, probably most places today, uh, I might have things thrown at me. They may be throwing me out. And here we go. It was necessary in order to show God. Did you, did you notice that? It was necessary to have sin and evil brought on. It was necessary to show God to be what He is like. And now we're delving into the things of God that are very deep and we must be careful how we go with this. But... I'll blame it on Haldane and Jonathan Edwards and John Calvin and C.H. Spurgeon and all the rest that go with that list. You ready? It was necessary in order to show God to be what He is like. Had sin never existed, there would have been no opportunity of manifesting the righteous displeasure of God against it. And you can say, what? He couldn't show His displeasure against it if you didn't have that sin. That's not making sense right now, alright? And His justice for punishing it, nor of displaying His wonderful power in the very reason given by Paul for God suffering the vessels of wrath. Remember Romans 9? This is where we had really gotten into this. And here's what it is. And I know most people will say this. God permitted sin because if they say that God can't permit sin in, 
Now we've painted ourselves into a corner. You see what I'm saying? Now we're saying that God is not powerful enough. He will eventually, but He can't do that right now. I mean, is He overset? Why didn't He stop it? If God is God, He not only permitted it, we're going to go beyond that, but He willed And this is hard and heavy here. And hang on. He willed the entrance of sin among men. And it's clear from the creation of the world and its adaptation to illustrate the work of redemption. You see, you were planned before the foundation of the world. Before You were created before you had any thoughts. He had this whole plan. He said, well, why would He need to redeem if there wasn't sin? And that's exactly what we're saying. Well, He just permitted sin. It has to go higher than that. He not only permitted or allowed it, but He willed the existence of sin. He did not author it. And you say, well, what does that mean then? He did not author it. He did not create it. So where does it come from? You see, redemption was in the view of God all the way. And to redeem means He had to purchase us out of the bondage of sin. All this was planned out before we're created. You say, Dennis, this is enough. This, this is further than my mind can think. <laughs> well, hang on with it. We'll see if we can help out. From all eternity, it was purposed by Him <laughs> that it might be made known. Now, get this. And this is out of Ephesians 3. This is incredible. This is out of Ephesians 3. From all of creation, it was to be made known by the church. This is the purpose of God. The church, that's us and all the believers in all the world, the manifold, multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ, grace was given to His people in Christ and eternal life was promised by God who cannot lie before the world began It is not possible that God would have purposed the entrance of sin had it not been able to turn to His glory. You want to know in in one word why there is sin? Glory. And you can say, ah, that doesn't make sense. That's what's the problem with a finite mind. You have to believe it. It's all throughout here. This is what Paul's been talking about all the way through Romans 9, 10, 11. You cannot just dismiss it and say, I don't want to go in that text. It bothers me too much. Well, does God bother you too much? Well, he's saying, I want you to know a little bit more about me. And he says, well, this is too much for me. Well, see, the entrance of sin came in because it was about God's glory. And say, well, how did it get here? All I know is that God is glory. 
anything that comes short of God's glory is called what? Sin. We cannot be God. And Lucifer found that out. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped just like God was because he was the one leading the worship and he saw that God is getting all this worship and look at me. It's like he's the chief of the worshipers. And the pride that came out of him and sin came. Now there were other angels that didn't follow after him. There were a third of them that did. You say, how does this work? I don't know. How much further can I take it? I don't think I can. Or I'll back myself into a corner. But what I have taken into something to is to think about is that, wow, God is saying, how unsearchable are His decrees? His purpose plan, it doesn't make sense. How can that be? How can there be sin? And yet, a holy God, how can that be? If that be the case, if He's controlling that, why didn't He do away with it? Why didn't He just not have redemption? Why didn't He just not have Christ come on the cross for us? You see, we have all of those questions then. And we worship Christ and we think about what He did on the cross. Why do we have this up here? But also we have a crown. There's the cross before the crown. There is suffering for us as Christians. But we know that the crown glory comes. If Christ, who is God, suffered here on earth, how much better are we than Him? We too will suffer and then get glory. You see, it was necessary to show what He's like. Because we would never know that He's a God of justice. We would never know the holiness of God and all those things. And we are starting to learn a little bit of that. Who can know the depths of all this? I don't think we ever will. But I know when we have a tremendous glorious mind, can you imagine the capacity that we will have to know who God is? It will be mind-blowing. It will blow this mind away, won't it? A new mind. Now, I used Haldane in that. He willed the entrance of sin among men so that men would see the story of redemption. Otherwise, we would never know what redemption is. That's what the angels long to look in. They don't know the redemption. And one day we'll be above them. Corinthians 6 says we'll be judging angels. They're not sinful. The Jews. The nations. The apostasy of the nations through all those ages. The apostasy of the Jews for all those eons. The apostasy is there. It dishonors God. And man, a Christian man, who would have the power of God, would not allow apostasy to happen. You see, we would not allow sin to have ever come into this world, would we? 
I don't like it. I hate it. God does too. He's holy. Much holier than I am. And it sounds like I've made him look like a bad guy. He can create it. But he ordained it. That's a tough one. He let, he actually willed it to come in. How unfathomable. We can understand this. Our minds cannot go into that. It's unfathomable, but it's true. It's the Word of God. We've seen enough of it there to know that it's true. It's beyond the grasp of the human mind. Oh, I've tried to go there a little bit further. And I'm always stopped. Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest thinker that we've had in this nation, went a little bit far. And I think there was a guy by the name of Gerstner who did a great study on Edwards. He loved Edwards and his writing, but he said he even backed himself into a corner as he was painting that he couldn't get out of. And uh, trying to explain it all. See, Satan's the god of this world, yet God is glorified, and God really is the god of this whole creation and this world, but He wills that Satan is the god of this world right now. That doesn't make sense. Why, God, why just doesn't He obliterate that? He could do away with sin in a moment, and He will. He will do that. Oh, He... The evil that Satan introduced in every part of Scripture, we see God glorifying in His judgments, in His own judgments, God's judgments, against Satan and all the works that he did and he offered up to man. You see, man actually was to be the ruler of this world, the animals and all the like, and in a sense we kind of are. But actually, it says in Scripture that the God of this world is Satan because He usurped our authority that was given to us here on earth because we let sin come in and do that. And man is responsible for that. God is not responsible. He ordained evil. But He does not make anybody sin. Never, ever can He do that. You say, my mind can't handle that. Mine can't either. God is glorified with all these these judgments. He's glorified in His grace. He's glorified in His wrath. He's glorified in His mercy. He's glorified in His in in the lost. He is glorified in the saved. However, this may be disagreeable to our human minds, and it is. It's very affronting to our human minds. And the first time somebody hears this, it's almost like they start getting mad. I know that's what happened to me. I didn't like that thought at all. No, 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 that can't be. And then, well, tell me then, what is this all about? Is God in control or not? Is He sovereign or not? That's where it comes down to, and I like to use two words, absolute sovereignty. And you say, that means everything, anytime, all the time, everything. Even human beings especially. Nothing can separate us from God. No amount of sin, no matter of testing. Remember Romans 8? We read all of that. Oh, the depths of God, right? All these things might be disagreeable to the human mind, but people, we go to the truth, we turn there, and we see that it's absolutely, truly reasonable. Can there be a higher end than the glory of the divine Creator? His glory. 
We close out number two. That was number one. <laughs> I designed this to go about 50 minutes today. Pretty close. Okay. Number two. Now we go into this with all that set up. Everything else follows, doesn't it? Or who was first given to him that it might be repaid to him? Here's where you have the possessions of God. We had the glory of God, now the possessions of God. The glory is what it's all about, right? Look at his possessions. He owns it all. He owns it all. Four words says it all. He owns it all. He owns you. He owns your body. You don't even own it. You don't own your own will. God says, I want to give you my will. So, well, I'd like to use my will. Okay, yeah, try it for a while. <laughs> Job 41.11 not, not my will, Lord, but Thy will, right? Job 41.11 Job, we've been turning back there quite a bit today, haven't we? What about what God owns? What He created? 41.11 Who has given to me that I should repay Him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I think that says it. Whatever it is, that's all of creation. It's mine. I own it. Who's ever given anything to God? You say, well, I, I give Him my love. No, you don't. God first loved us. How can we love Him? Because He overpours into us His love. All we do is give back a little bit of love. Say, well, I give Him my offering. And well, we should, but God doesn't need that. But he uses it in the church for it to be able to function and then to continue on in its work it needs. It does need money. It does need things. But man has nothing at all to give to God. Man has no knowledge. He has no wisdom to give to God. There is nothing that we can lend to him that he is never already thinking about. Um, you know, you can say, well, I own my house. That's his house. All the wood that it took to build it, the bricks or anything, all those materials. You know, he even owns the dirt. He owns the land that you live on. You can say, well, I bought that land. Yeah, but where did you get the money to buy it? You can go on and on and on down. He lets us use some things. It's called stewardship. And we are to be stewards of what he has given and to use it wisely, and He gives us the wisdom to use that wisely. Man is a pauper. Man is a debtor. Man is nothing before God. Man has an awful debt before God. And we know what that debt is, don't we? I'm glad it was paid for for all of us at the cross. Otherwise, it'd take eternity to ever pay him back. Um, look at Psalm 24 1. The earth is Yahweh's, as well as its fullness, the world, and those who dwell in it. <laughs> the earth and everybody in it. It's his. He owns it, it's all his. People say, well, I have a right to my own body. God takes that seriously when somebody says that. 
That can mean a lot of things. Of course, we automatically have to think about abortion. Uh, nobody has a right over their own body. God does. And when you, even when you become a Christian, you belong to Him. The Holy Spirit resides in you now. Uh, 50 verse 12 says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, as well as its fullness. There again. The world is mine. It's everything. There's nobody I'm going to go to to get counsel from and uh, to, or to get something, uh, to maybe borrow some somebody. It's ridiculous, isn't it? All of these are something we already knew long before we probably even became Christians. We know we knew something about God, and He's much bigger than us, right? Deuteronomy 10.14, boy, nothing new, but it's amazing how many times God had to put all this in here. <laughs> Behold to you, Yahweh, your God, belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. I think he's making it clear. He's in control of all of it, isn't he? 1 Corinthians 10.26 26. For the earth is the Lord's as well as its fullness. I think uh, Paul stole that out of the Old Testament again. Paul must have been a plagiarist. He's always quoting Old Testament scriptures, isn't he? What's that tell you about the Word of God? He took it very highly and he quotes often from it. That means the Old Testament is an authority to us too, isn't it? Colossians 1.16 for in Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. That covers it all. That's the whole universe. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. I think that says it all. <clears throat> Whatever He says, goes. Whatever He does, that's it. It's all about Him in everything. God owes nothing to anyone. We cannot put God in debt. Somebody does something for God, then He must in return give me fourfold. I give money to Him, He must multiply that. I do service for Him. I witness for Him. Well, He must multiply that. I mean, those are good principles, and he does do that, but we never are to uh, hold him in some kind of uh, lending fashion that we are lending him. Look what we did. Here's what uh, you owe to us, God. We are hopeless. We're hopeless debtors without Christ. Man is in a precarious condition. You know that? Man is to pay God's glory... To, I mean, to God, because of God's glory, and He's not doing it, is He? Man is not only a debtor, but He's a thief, and He's a robber. He steals from God, takes from God. He takes things that don't belong to Him, and He's ungrateful when He does. And so, people think that God owes them something. And the thing is, we owe Him everything, don't we? Every little thing, if you know, if God does something to us, you know, we blame Him. And then, uh, if we've done something that is just only right and good, 
uh, why expect anything? I know later we would like to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Slave is the word there. Uh, Being critical of God, complaining, thinking God has been unjust. Christians do these things. Or when we think we have obligated God by serving Him. He's now under obligation. He's not under obligation to us on anything except for what He's promised. And He takes care of us, gives us everything we need. We have eternal life. And there are many things that he we can go on and on and on about, but He's not obligated to do any of that. He's so good. I have to tell him all the time, you have been so gentle with me. I don't deserve how you have done with me. Very gentle. Third one. Last one. I'm sad. We have to finish this off. I stayed here forever, I think, but (laughs) three weeks. (laughs) Here we go, folks. I love this. For from him... And through Him and to Him, three things there, are all things. To Him, not to us, be the glory forever. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria. That's a great one for this verse. It's of Him, through Him, to Him. This is going to be quick. And I'd like to spend weeks on it, but we're going to go through this quick. Who can give God anything? None of us. He is the source of everything. In the beginning, God created. He created everything. He owns it all. He is the author of that all. His will is the very origin of all of our existence. He's the source of it all. Psalm 50, verse 10. 10. Psalm 50 and 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills he owns. Uh, it's much more than that, but it's, if you were out there and you were looking up and you saw this hill and this hill and then the, the third hill, and they're all covered with cattle, and then you start seeing a fourth and fifth, now you're talking about a hundred, and then a hundred and fifty, and then a thousand, and then thousands and thousands of hills, and they're all just covered with cattle. To own it, to own a cow, you had to be very blessed to have a cow. That was a lot of money. God owns it all. Uh, The second one is, it's through Him. For from Him and through Him, through Him is that nothing exists except through Him. Nothing can exist otherwise. If He withdrew His Holy Spirit right now, we would just collapse. If He withdrew His power, He sustains the whole world. He sustains the air, the water, the food, everything that is so much taken for granted by us American people. He has been the one sustaining it all. 
Are we giving Him high praise as we think about this? I pray that we are. I mean, this is, this is praise. You can say, well, this is automatic. We know this. Oh, think about the depths of it, though. You can only go so far. Psalm 104, verse 28 through 31. As we're getting ready to wrap it up. 104, verse 28. You give to them, they gather it up. Let's sub one up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. See, we come to bring Him nothing. We actually, I saw a quote the other day, and I thought it was pretty good. It's not that we come here empty-handed. He says, oh yeah, we come with sin. <laughs> oh, I guess so. To open your hand, they are God, they are satisfied with good. His people are. To open your hand. You give to them, they, they gather it up. You know, we do work for it. We farm it and such. And we go to the grocery store or whatever it takes to get it. We cook it, whatever. God sustains us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Oh, how God is so glorious. He's the very radiance Christ is and the exact representation of His nature. And look at this. Upholds all things by the word of His power. How do the planets just hang out there? How does earth just go around and around the sun and the sun? How does that happen? Gravity? Here on earth we have gravity, right? No gravity. Uh, Really, it's God sustaining keeping it going. Otherwise, you know, how does an atom stay without exploding? We all should have exploded the moment that we came into being, and how could that have even happened? But, I mean, there's no other explanation other than God is sustaining this, holding it together. As it says there, He upholds all things by the Word of His power. Do you take this Word lightly? How powerful is God's Word? It's enough to create, and it's enough to sustain. It's enough to save you. It's enough for everything. And after everything is gone, what remains on this earth? The Word of God. Now, the last one. It's the best one. This is a precious one. From Him, through Him, to Him are all things. To Him. To Him. Everything leads to His glory. Everything. This is the most thrilling of all as Paul closes out the chapter and the section of 1 through 11. What a closing he has. The whole cosmos is going to display finally the glory of God. Finally it will happen. It will do that. The end of everything is the glory of God. It will all be glory. There will be nothing that will not be glory. It's the glory of God. Paul sees the glorious end. I think that's where he's led up to this. After all of this and getting all this knowledge and this wisdom... And it's so unsearchable and all things tend to His glory as their final end. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, very next book over, near the end of First Corinthians. That's the resurrection chapter. In verse 23, each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, resurrection. After that, those who are Christ at His coming, there's glorification. That's for us. And here we go. Then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when He abolished all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For He has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when He says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that He is expected who put all things in subjection to Him. Here we go. And when all things are subjected to God, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him so that God may be all in all. Perfect glory everywhere. It's the glory of God. Romans 16, just a few pages back in your Romans, verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That would be enough, right? No, he says, wait a minute. It's just like me when I say, okay, I'm on my last verse. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long pages, ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the Gentiles leading to obedience of faith. Is the church to do this? To show what God's purpose and plan is to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. It's all designed to the glory of God. Man was made for one reason. God's glory. Our salvation leads to showing forth the praise to God. Redemption does that. The only reason why there is such a thing as salvation and why we are saved, it is to give all the glory to Him. Let's pray. Oh, the depth, the ridges, and the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Lord, who has known the mind of You? Or who has become Your counselor? Or who has first given to You that it might be repaid? For from You and through You and to You are all things. To You be the glory forever. Amen.